Welcome to Real Estate and Coffee. My name is Joel Arndt. Here is a conversation about Canadian real estate and Canadian politics while you enjoy your morning coffee. I reached out to all of the federal election candidates in my riding uh, Hamilton Centre to see if they'd talk to me about some questions I personally have, uh, issues that matter to me in this election. The first one to respond was Jason Lopez of the Green Party. This, So to be clear, this conversation is me just looking for information. I dig a little bit on different topics, but it isn't meant as a debate of any sort. I do look for clarification. Um, and there are points that I don't that I don't agree with, but I don't directly. This was this conversation wasn't meant to confront points that I don't agree with in the Green Party platform. It was simply to clarify where the Green Party stands on the points that are important to me. So this this episode is not an endorsement of the Green Party um, in this federal election. It's purely for information purposes. It was a great conversation. I enjoyed it. Jason's an intelligent guy. He, uh, yeah, he knows his stuff and it's pretty down to earth. I didn't feel like I was being fed too much BS, <laughs> uh, but in all honesty, it was, it made, it got me thinking. He got me thinking and he got me thinking on some very specific points, some very, uh, some topics that I need to dive deeper on, um, this conversation happened back uh, on December or on September 22nd, and I have his permission to post it as a podcast. And I want the conversation starts with talking about environmental issues. I fully believe that Canada and globally we are in a climate crisis. I know that may not be an opinion that you have. That's okay. If you want to skip past the environmental talk and get right to the real estate talk, uh, we jump into it about 19 or the, the, the 19th or 20th minute. We start talking about um, affordable housing and rental income. The, but I think, anyway, it's a good conversation all the way through. And um, hopefully I'll get to talk to Matthew Green, he's the NDP candidate. He's the only other one that's responded so far. I'm going to reach out to the liberal and conservative candidate again. If I could get all four candidates on the podcast before the election, that would be amazing. We'll see if it happens. At the end of the episode, um, I will talk a little bit about some of my research since uh, this conversation. And just to kind of give some more context of the Green Party's platform on a whole, and, and and I'll share a little bit more of my opinion, but I'm not going to dive too much into it. Again, this is very informational, and I'll try to keep it as such. So enjoy this conversation with Jason Lopez, uh, the Green Party candidate for Hamilton Center. I don't. Uh, I haven't read up on the Green Party at all, uh, so okay. I don't have. I don't even really have a cursory knowledge of, of what the platform is. 
Um, okay. I guess my main concern heading into this election um, are environmental, are, uh, and I think I'd probably line up with most of what the Green Party would want to do. Uh, but where I'm not sure about is like, uh, so I'm, I work with real estate investors. I work in real estate and stuff like that, also marketing. And so I'm, I'm a big fan of business and particularly small business and stuff like that. So as are we. Mm-hmm. Both NDP, so Singh was talking about a wealth tax. Trudeau was talking about a foreign investor tax. They're slightly different, but they're, they were both quoted for the same reason to kind of help pay off or uh, some investments into affordable housing and stuff like that. Sure. Um, it does. Elizabeth may have anything along those lines. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, the big thing that you know, in, you know, we definitely want to raise uh, taxes on you know on the one percent. But the the biggest thing we're looking at is trying to get money from a lot of these multinationals that have been. Uh, avoiding paying tax. I mean, yes, we want to raise the corporate tax rate, but um, the problem I find is that on its own isn't going to be good enough because, you know, we're losing so much money because whether you're a wealthy individual or whether you're a corporation, you have access to these, um, you know, to high-priced accountants and you can set up these complex offshore tax structures where really you end up paying, you know, nothing or very a very minimal amount. So, there's a few things we want to do. I mean, um, starting at the individual level, we want to get rid of the, uh, uh, the capital gains uh, tax uh, loophole, uh, which we find that uh, primarily is going to benefit, you know, uh, more affluent individuals. Um, but the big one that I find is that we really need to get rid of these uh, negotiated um, tax havens that we have in our international agreements. Um, and, and we should also have, uh, multinationals that set, um, saying that you know that they have an office in whether it be Ireland or uh, the Cayman Islands uh, to provide proof that they actually have you know a legitimate portion of their business actually being run there and that it's not just being run as you know kind of a shell corporation for tax purposes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean we're losing something like 25 billion dollars a year in revenue, um, and there's really hasn't been any prosecutions done uh, after the discovery of the Panama Papers showing you know all this tax avoidance and actually outright illegal tax evasion. Mm-hmm. So I think that before, you know, that has to be done first because, I mean, if we're going to raise taxes and try and close loopholes, we need to be able to make sure that it's actually going to be something where we're actually going to receive the money. Um, I find that every year the tax gap increases and, you know, the amount of money that we're actually collecting versus what we're supposed to get, um, it, there's a huge discrepancy. So. Um, yeah, I mean, that's definitely um, very big for us. I mean, uh, if you look at the revenue right now, you know, the, uh, the individual Canadian is, is funding like over 50 percent of, uh, of the revenue that's going into, you know, government coffers. And, you know, that's pretty unfair. Um, the other one, too, just um, to add is um, companies like um, Amazon and Facebook, uh, Netflix, Airbnb. I mean, they pay no tax whatsoever. And. You know, like I work at my day job is I work in a uh, in a retail store. I manage a, a small business, and you know we're constantly competing against Amazon. So you know we pay our taxes. We employ you know local workers in Hamilton, 
which also pay taxes, and yet Amazon pays nothing, not in the U.S., not in Canada. So, I mean, that to me, when we see more moving to, you know, online, which is obviously happening, you know, we need to get our fair share of that revenue because, you know, as, you know, businesses like uh, newspapers and uh, retail outlets, as they begin to um, diminish, you know, and more things go online, our tax revenue will diminish. So we need to make sure that if this is the future of the economy, that we need to tax them appropriately as well, right? So uh, two things. Uh, first of all, um, I'm going to say them and and then I'll let you tackle whichever one you want first, just so that I don't forget. Sure. <laughs> uh, first of all, the capital gains tax, what would you actually, what would Elizabeth May actually want to do with that? And then the second question is, um, how do you practically, like, are there, are there any recommendations, specific recommendations that Elizabeth May would want to act on to, um, like, force multinationals to prove they actually were doing business in Ireland or to close those loopholes, those tax loopholes? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I mean, first, as far as the capital gains, um, I would say that the best way to do it would be kind of have it on a, uh, like, a sliding scale, because right now you're, with your capital gains, you only get taxed on 50% of it, right, as far as uh, gets taxed as income. So I think that, you know, for, let's say, middle-class individuals, uh, they can end up getting that. But as it goes up higher, as far as income, uh, that benefit should be eliminated and you should be taxed on all of it, right, as income. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times what's happening is that, you know, CEOs and whatnot are just paid simply in stock options. So they're able to make, you know, multi-million dollar salaries and stock options cash in those stocks and then not pay tax on half of their income. So it's really being used as, in a lot of cases, as a way to uh, to pay someone and have them avoid paying tax. Uh, now, as far as your, your second question, as far as uh, being able to prove it, I mean, really, they would just have to submit, you know, documents showing that, you know, that they have, uh, they actually have, you know, purchased real estate there, that they actually have are complying with the, uh, the local laws that they're actually, uh, they actually have a legitimate business case that they're operating there, whether it's manufacturing or, uh, you know, whether they have an office uh, show record of, you know, how many employees they have, um, things like that show that they're actually the same thing that you would do uh, here, but to actually have them provide these documents uh, to the CRA to show that, look, we're running a legitimate business here. We're not just sending you, you know, the address of an office where, you know, maybe there's one or two people working. Mm-hmm. So, uh, again, then that's the part of it, you know, I mean, obviously when you put something into a, uh, a platform uh, before it becomes policy, it obviously has to get flushed out, you know, in the House of Commons and the Senate and whatnot, but that's sort of the uh, the basis of the uh, the idea behind it. Okay. Um, the, so I'm going to shift now. Uh, sure. I... Personally, I struggle with the the whole pipeline and oil, like Canada's oil and gas and energy sector. Like in, in like on the two sides of it, I see I see its economic benefits. I also see how um, it's just it's contributing so much to uh, pollution and a lot of environmental degradation and stuff like that. Um, I worry about not being an expert, so like I don't know, but I mean it's obvious how how much oil and energy contributes to our economy. Like we have numbers on that and it's huge. How, how do you, um, without damaging or like, you know, 
driving up unemployment rates, which are already pretty bad in Alberta and Edmonton, like the Prairie Provinces right now anyway. Um, how do you like put more standards and regulation on those companies, um, especially if they're trying to put like a pipeline through or if they're trying to do more shale drilling or, you know, they're trying to do more activity in the oil sands or whatever. Or like, like do you outright, are you going to try and outright stop that? Um, or is there like a, like a progressive plan or what, how does that work? Okay. No, that's a good question. So I'll, I'll tackle that. I'm going to try and tackle that strictly from an economic and jobs perspective since I'm pretty sure we can both agree on the environmental um, issues there. So I'll kind of mm-hmm. uh, skip that. Um, so basically I'll start with the pipeline, the Trans Mountain Pipeline. Okay. Um, that to me is an extremely speculative investment to be spending so much taxpayer money on. I mean, it's already... Can you elaborate on that? How is it speculative? Uh, I can explain to you right now. I mean, the, the $4.5 billion on the pipeline and then anywhere between 8 to $11 billion in construction costs. Okay. Now, when this thing gets done, which right now, again, construction hasn't really mm-hmm. started, so... Mm-hmm. You know, it's we're not going to see any sort of completion by, you know, about 2022. Okay. Now, the main goal of that pipeline is to ship human to Asia, but when we're talking Asia, we're primarily talking China. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, again, when I say speculative, I mean ask, you know, uh, what our farmers are saying about, you know, uh, their reliance on. Exports. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look at the look at the ban on canola oil. You know, I mean, they mm-hmm. could just snap their fingers and all of a sudden, you know, completely stop uh, importing and completely kill a sector. So, I mean, in one sense, it's speculative in that way. In the other sense, uh, China has already agreed to transition away from fossil fuels as far as banning the internal combustion engine. They haven't set a date yet, but they've said that they're going to do it. They are focusing a lot more on electric vehicles. So with more countries planning to ban the internal combustion engine by 2030. Okay. If this thing is done by 2022, how many years is it going to take for us to get that revenue back? I mean, if you look at it and let's not, let's remember too, how much of that money is actually going to from that revenue, how much is it actually going to a, the government of Alberta, the government of Canada and actual employees. I mean, the amount of money we're investing is a tremendous amount of money and there's a huge risk of that becoming a stranded asset. Okay. The other thing that doesn't get discussed is that international shipping standards are changing by next year, which may, which immediately is going to eliminate 20% of demand of our oil because it's not going to be in compliance with international shipping standards. So as regulations get tougher, because as we can both agree, this climate crisis is not going away, and as things get worse, more and more people will wake up around the world. Hence, you know, Putting this much money, expecting a long-term return, just to me doesn't make any sense. I mean, what do you think Kinder Morgan walked, Kinder Morgan walked away from it? They walked away from it because it's a very time-sensitive investment. Yeah, go in, make a quick buck. But even they realize, I mean, the oil companies are investing heavily in renewables because they know that there is a sunset to that industry. You know, it can't exist in perpetuity. So for us to invest that much taxpayer dollars simply just to generate votes in Alberta, like I said, it's extremely speculative. Now, again, I'm not telling you that it's impossible to make money for a couple of years, but long term, that's going to become a stranded asset, which we will own, which the private sector walked away from. So 
it's very, very uh, concerning to me, even just from an economic perspective, because that's a lot of money being put into that. Um, now, as far as what do we want to do? Yeah, we're not going to turn off the taps overnight. So what we would like to do is gradually limit our reliance on foreign oil and uh, try and do more refining of the product that we have for domestic use so that we can have mm -hmm. a little bit more energy self-sufficiency. Yeah. Right. Because, again, we're going to rely on, you know, oil and at least the petrochemical industry. I mean, for plastics, I mean, there's not really, uh, you know, I was even reading as things like, for example, the medical industry, uh, you know, blood bags are an example. Like, you can't replace something. You, know, you need to use plastic for that. So, you know, there's going to be need for a petrochemical industry. But we need to start looking at things in a long-term horizon. I mean, that's the problem with, with government because they understand that, you know, most people don't have time to delve into the issues. I mean, at least you're doing your due diligence and, you know, asking the questions and looking into it. But most people do a cursory glance and, you know, their vote can kind of be bought with, you know, propaganda or what have you. But the way the petrochemical the oil industry is, is established right now, it's not sustainable long term. Now, again, there will be an oil industry. But, you know, its uses in transportation are going to become less and less, and we're going to be using it more for petrochemicals. So we need to make sure that if we're going to use our existing resources, that we try and use it domestically, you know, as global demand decreases and use it for other things, you know, like making plastics or anything that we can't do through, you know, recycling or through the circular economy. Um, so that's a bit, I mean, I could talk, honestly, I could talk about this for, you know, for an hour, but that's, uh, yeah, I, that's kind of the nuts and bolts of it. I mean, that's obviously Green Party's one of their strong suits. So, I mean, I yeah. appreciate that. That's actually, you've, you've brought up a lot of points that I'm going to have to uh, dive back into personally later. So yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I can, you know, you can email me and I can maybe send you a couple of uh, of links if you'd like as well. I mean, sure. I don't know how timely it will be because I'm super busy, but I can give it a shot. You know, that's fine. I mean, like I said, whatever whatever I can get, I mean, I, like I'm doing my own research is, easy enough um yeah so but if yeah if if you can send me you know just some key key things key documents or whatever that would be neat um but uh and that then, one of the international shipping standards is a big one like i don't know why that doesn't get talked about i've like, never yeah. heard of that that was one of the first yeah. things that tweaked me i was yeah. like okay that's yeah. what's that about so i mean and the china china not having like not purchasing as much is also another big deal and then uh, but I like so in my mind is that there's a balance between okay so I mean they're they're angry about how we've handled um, their telecom C or executive I forget what her name is um, that oh, whole yeah, situation Huawei, yeah so that's yeah. but that's about the only point of tension between Canada and China right now uh, like the biggest thing is just the U.S. And, and China and so if like we've already I was talking to someone else who was it nuts I forget who it was. Um, so this is going to see this is baseless, but I was talking to someone else who who is saying that we've actually already seen um, some of our exports uh, boosted a little because of the U.S.-China trade war. Like uh, the China is buying, I know canola, they cut off canola oil, but mm -hmm. China is buying. Some, so if there's other things, so that like it can be balanced by okay, they're not buying from the U.S. anymore, so they start buying from us. But let's say they cut off, let's say they restricted or completely cut off what they're buying oil from anywhere in the world, let alone Canada. Because you know they're committing to these goals that they've set, and and that that's probably 
that's probably like the biggest. Well, and 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 the other thing, and again, like I, and like I said, you know, I was I was uh, I wanted to approach it from a strictly economic perspective, but obviously the biggest reason is I I feel that in you know the current climate crisis that you know for Canada to be considered a, a global leader and one of the best countries to live in in the world, we can't be a net exporter of fossil fuels. I mean, that's one of the reasons why we are you know the top greenhouse gas emitter per capita you know in the world. So I mean, it's it's we can't continue doing that. If we're going to meet our emissions targets, we can't be an exporter of fossil fuels. We have to diversify our economy. I mean, the oil sands uh, at their height have only represented three percent of GDP. So the economic impact of oil across Canada is exaggerated. Yes, is it important to Alberta? Sure, it is. But if we took the amount of money that we're investing in the Trans Mountain Pipeline and reinvested it in solar, okay? Alberta has the huge potential for solar. Yeah, absolutely. Solar in Alberta, solar in Alberta will generate more than fifty uh, percent more than it does in Germany, and Germany has a huge amount of solar that's generating electricity. Mm-hmm. Right, and Alberta, with the amount of sun they get, can generate fifty percent more than Germany does. Right, there's already the private sector is already doing a like a, the largest one in Canada. It's just got to prove it again. Not government funded. It's all privately funded. Uh, it's something like five. Uh, Oh, I, I don't remember the number, but it's enough to power 100,000 homes. And it's like, you know, the largest one, it's like half a billion dollars it's costing, you know. And I'm thinking, you know, if we invested the amount of money that we're putting into this transplant pipeline expansion into solar farms like this, you know, one, we would create more jobs. Two, we could get Alberta off of coal much quicker. And, you know, again, which it would be another way to create jobs in Alberta and lessen our reliance on fossil fuels and like I said, getting rid of coal in Alberta. I mean, that's win, 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 and win as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. And it's very interesting, like, a, like, like really attractive. I love that that idea in general. Um, mm-hmm. The Okay, next question. Uh, being in real estate, I, affordable housing is obviously one of the biggest um, conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the Green Party's approach uh, to solve or alleviate uh, provide more well, affordable I mean, housing let me say that yeah i mean there's a lot of ways to tackle that i mean obviously there's social housing uh is one aspect of it but you know as someone involved in real estate we'll talk more about um development and you know uh, the, the cost of housing so i mean one thing that i think that needs to happen that needs to happen is that we need to uh incentivize purpose-built rental units. I mean, that was, that's what was done in the 70s and the 80s. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's why you see all these, you know, these old, you know, apartment yeah. buildings that were built in the 70s and 80s because that's when the incentives were there. You know, once they, they stopped, that investment stopped. The private sector's not going to invest in something that is not going to make the money. I mean, if you're a private developer, you know, obviously it's going to make, you're going to make a lot more money building luxury condos because you're going to get, you know, more dollar per square foot and you're going to get all your capital up front you know, as, as instead of doing a, a rental unit. So we need to look at that system and change it to incentivize doing rental units, whether it's, you know, um, not taxing rental income or uh, providing, uh, again, incentives for uh, building or access to capital uh, or even just, you know, tax rebates for, uh, for that type of development. And even for individuals, I mean, individuals don't want to do uh, basement apartments, uh, granny suites, laneway housing, you know, we need to work with the other, other levels of government to make it easy for people to add rental accommodations to themselves and become their own landlords. 
uh, the lack of rental housing, especially affordably, is one of the huge things that's driving up uh, affordable housing. I mean, it's very difficult for especially a family to find, mm-hmm. say, a three-bedroom rental unit that they can afford, particularly if they're making minimum wage. Yeah. Now, is that a sentiment that carried, like, right up through? Is that something that Elizabeth May would actually um, look at? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, the One of the big things uh, about becoming a landlord is, like, you buy, right now, you buy your prop, buy a property, or even, let's say, let's say you just rent out the basement of, of your home, um, yep. and that space now essentially becomes not your own. Like you have very little control over what happens in that space. Right. And if anything, if anything, and it, these are the extreme, well, no, I'll say, I'll say these are extremes, but the, the extremes seem to be uh, fair. Like they're not uncommon. So um, yeah. say someone is just, things just go south and now your, your space is jeopardized and if you're connected to it that's scary if you're not connected to it it's still scary but you're not living in the in, in the same in a similar space so it's not it's not as crazy but um and it's hard for landlords to um see any see any kind of recuperation from that like even so well yeah well i'll just i'll leave it at that it's hard for landlords to find any kind of recuperation yeah how does the green party feel about the landlord tenant laws right now well, I mean, on that one, um, you know, it, it's tricky, right? Because, you know, once you, once you kind of take, uh, again, when you're developing policy, it affects, again, not only, like you mentioned, the extreme situations, but it affects everything. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what affects the individual landlord can also be scaled to the slumlord that's doing a, you know, a multi-unit uh, rental, right? So I would say that in, for the most part, our policies tend to favor uh, the tenant and tend to favor the right to safe and affordable housing uh, and tend to favor uh, not putting people out into the street. Mm-hmm. And that's like, I think what I see a lot in, in landlord circles and just, you know, time and time again, and there's only so much, for the most part, I think a lot of people need to be careful about um, who they put in their units. And when you sure. start saying that in public light, like you get so much kickback from like, there's no, I understand that. That's... And, and, but the truth is like, if you're not, if you're not very meticulous and it's the same thing with employees, which I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're like, you understand as well. Like if yeah. you're not very careful about who, who you're signing a contract with, uh, it can really burn you. And then, and then, so in, in this case, what's happening, like what we have right now is, a lot of people are either backing out of the rental market altogether who were amateurs, let's say that, like, or just did not yeah. have a stomach. They just wanted this to be a part of their retirement portfolio. Mm-hmm. They weren't looking to get into it as any kind of business or anything. And um, they, they're either backing out or they're switching. They're trying to switch to um, short-term rentals. And, right. you know, people are complaining about how short-term rentals are taking up. Well, it's because, most of those people who are converting to short-term rentals, they see a, you know, better profit margins uh, because you can't just kick out it. Rightly so. Like I'm not saying we need to be able to kick out tenants left, right and center whenever we want to. No, but I I see where you're coming from, obviously. Yeah. So there's, 
there's a there's the safe and and a, an affordable housing and protecting and like because there is a power imbalance. I, I'm very aware of that. I rent right now. Uh, thankfully, I have an excellent landlord. Um, but at the same time, I think once it becomes clear, and this isn't this is what is not happening right now in the LTV. Once it becomes clear that there are infringements on the on the tenant side, action needs to be taken. And right now, sure. that's not happening. Like it, it's months, at best, about three to four weeks, commonly about a month to two months. Now, sometimes upwards of six months before anything can happen. And even then, it's just finally getting legal permission to actually kick a tenant out because they have months of either no. Oh, and there does have to so. be, obviously, there does have to be a two-way street. And another thing that I would add would be, uh, you know, something that we would support would be in order to kind of offset that risk that's taken by the landlord. Uh, we feel that, you know, that they should be further incentivized financially through through the tax system in order to motivate them to uh, do long-term uh, rental contracts, you know, whether it be making those tax-free, you know, tax-free income for them or looking at other systems. But mm -hmm. that's something that, you know, again, we feel the tax system needs to be shifted in such a way where it encourages the type of development that benefits, you know, the problems that we have. Yeah. So they need to be kind of uh, run congruently with each other so that, you know, if you're being taxed on something, it should be, you know, you're not being taxed for something that's providing a social benefit and you are being taxed for something that's not. And mm -hmm. right now I find that's a little bit the opposite, just like as you pointed out, why are short-term uh, rentals or even like Airbnb and things like that are more lucrative when they're not really uh, solving any of these social ills that we have. Mm -hmm. So we need to make it so that it's an incentive for somebody that wants to make some extra income say, hey, you can make free tax-free income by providing a for, an affordable rental space. Yes, there may be some risk involved to you, mm -hmm. but the opportunity is there and that's going to motivate some people to take that chance. I mean, it's like if that were if that were a legit proposal for, by the, from the Green Party, like tax-free rental income, damn close to having my vote if, if nothing else falls <laughs> came well, through. Like, and, 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 and what that, I mean, that, like, speci that specific portion is more of my, my idea of yeah. uh, their, their word for word though, which is where I based it on their word for word is shifting the tax structure to okay. incentivize, um, uh, more low cost rental construction. Cause again, they can't flesh out every single, I mean, yeah, they've yeah. given us the policy documents about 166 pages, but they can't <laughs> flesh out every single yeah. idea with every single detail. So some of this left to our interpretation. And again, once it comes to policy, you know, obviously, like I said, it gets fleshed out in the house of commons and the Senate. But one of the things that we do as individual representatives is we can advocate for what we feel is going to be the best way to go forward and put forth our own policies, right? We're not under uh, party whip. So we have our own freedom to work within that framework. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like it. That's definitely something I'll be paying attention to, uh, like specifically as, you know, hear more from Elizabeth May, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, and, and frankly, any of the, in the party, party members. Um, I am not tied to, like I said in my message, I'm not tied to any party. And in fact, this election, more so than and any you're other. In, you're in Hamilton Center, I assume? Yeah. Okay, um, so I'd be, I'd be your guy in that one then. Yep. So the, it's, it's something that like if, 
yeah. Anyway, it, definitely paying attention to to how all, all all of that those specific points for me personally anyway plays out. And um, I appreciate you taking the time. This is uh, hey, no problem. This is excellent. I'm glad. All right. Well, thanks for and uh, and uh, kudos to you to uh, doing your due diligence. I mean, if everybody did that, I think we'd have a much stronger democracy. <laughs> I'm just tired of blindly voting. <laughs> oh, exactly, man. That's that's what you got to do. So. Uh, All right. Alrighty. Okay. You have a good one. You too. Thank you, Jason. All right. No problem. Bye. Bye. That was the conversation with Jason Lopez, the Green Party candidate for Hamilton Center in the federal election, Canadian federal election. I enjoyed that. It, I was thankful that he called back and he responded. He was the first to respond and it's spawned some deeper research for myself and my wife into all of the parties. And I've since this conversation, the one thing that worries me the most, there are, there are a few things in the Green Party's platform. And now this is a, this is a bit of opinion. Okay, so take this for what it's worth. I feel like probably most of you would agree with this, but maybe not. I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, let me know. Email me. Joel, uh, sorry, recoffee at joelarnt.com. C-A. So that's R-E-Coffee at J-O-E-L-A-R-N-D-T dot C-A. I'd love to hear your feedback on the episode entirely. If you're going to rant about the Green Party, unless you're going to back it up with some, some numbers and actually present a solid case, fine. Cool. I'll, I'd love to look at that. I don't want to hear about how the Green Party is not like... Because I... Again, this is not an endorsement for the Green Party. This does not mean I am voting for the Green Party. It does not mean I think you should vote for the Green Party. This is what Jason Lopez of the Green Party uh, in Hamilton Center um, says and and believes and is putting forward. And do with it what you will. My opinion of him as a person after that one conversation is I'd like to get to know him as just a just a person and business guy. Sounds like an interesting guy. My opinion of the Green Party, there are some extreme points in their platform that I can't really get behind. There are the one of the biggest real estate relevant points is they want to designate housing as a basic human right, which it is. Like... But what that means legally is that housing now becomes a utility and the regulation around it skyrockets. And I can't, I can't support that. That, that scares me more than anything in terms of like, if, if a government were to propose that, that would be because now individuals essentially cannot invest in real estate you would have to have you'd have to meet so many different regulations only big corporations are going to be able to hold real estate and i don't know that that's necessarily better for tenants either um 
So that was, that's the, since this conversation, uh, which the whole tax-free income thing sounds great. Do I think it's going to happen? Honestly, no, but might be something that whoever does there does make it into government that might be an idea i push for <laughs> uh you know there are elements in all of the plat all of the platforms except for the people's party of canada <laughs> to be honest i looked at it there wasn't there were some ideas concepts in there in terms of like problems of government that I kind of identify with, but none of their solutions I saw as useful. So all there are ideas in all the platforms, except for the people parties of people's party of Canada that I said, Ooh, I want that. And, uh, I think what I'm going to be doing is making note of, of all of those individual ideas and whoever makes it in is probably going to hear from me fairly regularly about these ideas and putting them forward. <laughs> Um, but anyway, again, I would love to hear your take on this conversation on the Green Party's platform. And again, no ranting about the Green Party as an illegitimate choice and they'll never make it in and blah, blah, blah. I don't care. What I do care about is your research and what you're concerned about. I do care about that. And I'd love to hear your thoughts for or against what Jason talked about and what's in the Green Party platform. And we can go from there. One thing I want to mention before I sign off. November 9th, we have the Wealth Hacker Conference coming up. Uh, This is... Man, I'm excited for the networking. I'm excited to meet with a whole bunch of people who are hacking their traditional routes to finance. They're finding ways to make money that I've never heard of before or they are becoming experts in some traditional ways that you could just model them and find similar success. And hundreds of these people are going to be gathered at the Wealth Hacker Conference in Toronto on November 9th. Plus we get to hear from a bunch of speakers who have some very specific wealth hacking strategies. And headlining the whole thing is Grant Cardone. I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be interesting. It'll be the first time I've ever heard Grant Cardone live. Uh, I'm sure that'll be a tremendous experience. I've been watching some of his stuff on YouTube. And the majority of it I has been very useful for me. But again, the reason why I bought my ticket was because I, the networking opportunity is going to be... That's the premium. That's the big draw. Now, I got my ticket at a bit of a discount, so I can pass that on. If you want uh, a discount on your conference ticket, go to wealthhacker.ca. Pick your ticket level, VIP premium, or general admission. When you click on your ticket, there's going to be an Eventbrite box. There will be a link to enter promo code. Click on that and put the promo code REALWEALTH. So... Wealthhacker.ca, choose your ticket, click the promo code link, enter the promo code real wealth, all one word, and you'll get 10% off. 
And if you're going, email me. I'd love to uh, meet up with you. I'd love to do a bit of a meetup there at the conference and um, share some of our some of what we've been picking up so far as a group. Okay, it's Monday. I hope this conversation uh, got you helped you wake up this morning and got you in a a curious frame of mind, if nothing else. Enjoy your Monday.